Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's my privilege to be with you. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Friday, April 1st, 2022, and we are continuing our look at the excellent book Fatima, The Great Secret of Fatima. A Spiritual Life for Our Times, Volume 3, by Father Carl Stellan of the Society of St. Pius X. This will have to do with Chapter 3, which is called The Refusal of the Consecration of Russia, and has to do with all the events leading up to, um, again, this book was published in 2018, leading up to the most recent attempt at the consecration properly, as the Blessed Mother asked, for at Tui in Spain and the apparition to Sister Lucy in 1929. I believe it is a valid consecration. I recommend checking out Kennedy Hall's YouTube page from several days ago. It's about a 40-minute presentation why he thinks the consecration of Russia was valid. I agree with him. I know in traditionalist Catholic circles, I consider myself to be a a traditional Catholic, that is someone who holds fast to everything Holy Mother Church teaches, that um, there is some controversy now as to whether Pope Francis and the bishops of the world have done specifically what the Blessed Mother asked for, but to my knowledge, this is valid. Of course, um, only heaven knows, quite literally, whether this has been accepted by our Lord and Our Lady. Um, Only time will tell, of course. We can do our part. Let's continue to do our part. Today is First Friday, which means tomorrow is the first Saturday of the month. So let's get to confession. Let's receive Holy Communion. Let's, of course, say the rosary at least five decades, which we should be doing every day. And let's meditate for 15 minutes on the Holy Rosary. All of those things done in a spirit of reparation. To make reparation for our sins and for the sins of others against the Immaculate Heart of our most sweet, our most perfect, our most lovely Queen, Our Lady of Fatima. Let's take a look then at Volume 3 of The Great Secret of Fatima. Chapter 3, entitled The Refusal of the Consecration of Russia. In Volume 2, we devoted the last chapter to the apparition of Our Lady in Tui, when she requested the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart. Let us compare that request with the one of July 1917 in order to see precisely what she was asking for. On the 13th of July 1917, she announces, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted. She doesn't say my request, but my requests. That is both requests. On the 13th of June, 1929, in Tui, Our Lady gives four conditions for the consecration of Russia. She requires the Pope, one, to unite with all the bishops of the world, two, to make the consecration, three, of Russia, 4. To the Immaculate Heart of Mary. 
On the 13th of May, 1930, Sister Lucia explains further the will of heaven and adds two conditions. Five, a solemn act of reparation and consecration of Russia to the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary. Six, the promise that upon the ending of this persecution, the persecution of the church by those following the errors of Russia, he will approve and recommend the practice of the repertory devotion already described. Number one, the partial consecrations performed by various popes. From the time that Sister Lucia made the second secret known in 1942, with its request for the consecration of Russia, various popes have performed consecrations similar to the one requested by Our Lady, while still failing to follow her precise wishes. Below is a table showing the degree to which these consecrations, under Popes Pius XII, Paul VI, and John Paul II, correspond to the six requirements listed above. Obviously, you can't see it, but I'll run through what Father's talking about. Notes for table on the next page. Note number one, Paul VI gave no order to the bishops. John Paul II simply said his act was in spiritual union with the bishops. Note number two, the term used during these acts was entrust and not consecrate. Note number three, the formula used by Pius XII was especially for the peoples who profess for you a particular devotion and among whom there was no home which would not have honored your venerable icon. Those used by John Paul II are the nations who particularly need this offering, donatio, and this consecration, and the peoples from whom you are expecting the consecration and offering. And there's a table here on page 67, which describes the three attempts by Pius XII, the one from Paul VI, and the four attempts from John Paul II, and Father shows where they're all lacking. He continues by saying, The common point in all of these acts is not one of them was associated with a public act of reparation, and no pope promised to approve the communion of the first Saturdays of the month. Moreover, out of the eight acts, only five are true consecrations, and only those of Pius XII were addressed to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And only John Paul II did what he could do, excuse me, and only John Paul II did what he could do to associate with the bishops. Finally, Russia was named only once by Pius XII in 1952. In the seven other cases, either she was not named or only in a covert way. In conclusion, even if these consecrations of the world were able to bear certain fruits, the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the conditions asked for by Our Lady has not yet been made. Two facts confirm this conclusion. 25 years after the last consecration, the conversion of Russia promised by the Holy Virgin has still not happened. And Sister Lucia, against all opposition, affirmed up to 1989 that the consecrations made until then did not correspond to Our Lady's request. I'll interject here for a moment. By their fruits, you shall know them. That's why we're going to continue to be praying at the end of this show and future shows the prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary by Bishop Athanasius Schneider. In there, he talks about the importance of the first Saturdays of the month and the communion of reparation and seeking that the Pope will make this more known to the world. Um, this is very, very important. Um, 
the communion of the first Saturdays of the month in reparation, along with all the other first Saturdays uh, devotions. We have to do our part. And remember, of course, this is all on the Lord's timetable. Whether we see, you know, peace in the world, the conversion in Russia in a week, in a month, in six months, that's only, of course, up to him. And we just have to pray that his will is done in all things and keep trusting in the powerful intercession of Our Lady of Fatima and keep praying for Pope Francis. Let's continue in the text. Number two, a confirmation by Sister Lucia. Nevertheless, in the Vatican document on Fatima of 2000, Cardinal Bertone says on the subject of the act of consecration of the 25th of March, 1984, Sister Lucia personally confirmed that this solemn and universal act of consecration corresponded to that wished for by Our Lady, quoting from a letter dated the 8th of November, 1989. We have just shown that this consecration did not satisfy all the Holy Virgin's requests, and that Sister Lucia had clearly affirmed this until 1989, notably because there was only a consecration of the world, without mentioning Russia and without an act of reparation. The letter quoted by Cardinal Bertone presents several serious problems. One, if the act of consecration performed in 1984 corresponded to what Our Lady wanted, why would Sister Lucia have waited five years to give a positive response? Two, why until 1988 she had always stated the contrary, i.e. that the consecration had not yet been done? Three, we find in her letters written until 1982 the arguments proving the insufficiency of the consecrations accomplished. A, Russia is not mentioned. B, the consecration was done by the Pope alone and not with all bishops. C, the Immaculate Heart is not mentioned. How can Sister Lucia now confirm that the act of consecration of 1984 was henceforth sufficient, while the same arguments she used before to prove its insufficiency apply perfectly to this act of consecration? Four, why was Sister Lucia not allowed to comment on this personally? It is strange to prefer a letter to a spoken confirmation from Sister Lucia herself. Five, as for the letter itself, the Vatican document produced a facsimile, but only a single sentence without mentioning to whom the letter was addressed. With regard to such an important question of radical change on the part of Sister Lucia regarding the consecration of Russia, how is it that the Vatican only communicated a very small extract of such an important document. 6. The Cardinal could provide only one letter for the period from 1989 until 2000. But after 1989, weren't there any other letters from Sister Lucia confirming the fact of the consecration accomplished according to the request of Our Lady to one of her relatives? If she had changed her mind after 1988, she would have surely tried to inform every one of those whom she had previously told that the consecration had not been done. 7. On the 13th of May, 1991, John Paul II met with Sister Lucia. Why did she not confirm her so-called agreement for the consecration? 8. Between 1989 and 1990, five letters were written on a computer and supposedly signed by Sister Lucia, in which it is said that the consecration had been made. One of these is precisely that quoted by Cardinal Bertone. However, Sister Lucia did not know how to use a computer. All the documents from her are manuscript. Why at the age of 82 
should she suddenly begin to use a computer to write her correspondence? And five times? Nine. The letter, quoted by the Cardinal, contains serious mistakes. It mentions the consecration of Russia by Paul VI during his pilgrimage to Fatima, whereas on that day, Paul VI made no consecration. It gives us the reason why the consecrations before 1984 were insufficient, the fact that the union of all the bishops was lacking. However, Sister Lucia specified that for the consecrations of 1982, what was also missing was the mention of Russia, which also is missing from the act of 1984. 10. Why did Cardinal Bertone not have the letter authenticated by Sister Lucia during the course of his visit in April 2000? 11. Why has the Vatican never spoken before about Sister Lucia's proof and then suddenly present it as the definitive argument, as Cardinal Bertone concludes? This is why all discussion and any new petition is groundless. Commentary. The consecration of Russia seemed to have touched the hearts of the popes in spite of their critical attitude towards Sister Lucia's writings. They made immense efforts to pretend that they had accomplished the wishes of Our Lady despite the clear objective evidence that the conditions have simply not been fulfilled. Why then accomplish such an act and at the same time refuse to fulfill the conditions? Because the conditions in themselves are inadmissible for those who adhere to the spirit of the council. They are a thorn in their side. They are against their principles. A. Concrete analysis of the requirements and why they are refused. 1. Since the Second Vatican Council, the real power in the Church seems to be the bishops' conferences. To our knowledge, there is no example of a pope who has ignored or short-circuited the bishops' conferences. Now, the first condition for the consecration of Russia is an act of supreme authority, an order that emphasizes the universal monarchic power of the pope. It goes directly against the principle of collegialism, which was officially established as the model of the governance of the Church since Vatican II. To accomplish this request would mean a clear return to the traditional monarchic understanding of the Church as established by our Lord himself and defined as a dogma of the faith by the First Vatican Council. 2. The popes after Vatican II generally avoid the term consecration and replace it with entrustment, because a total surrender of oneself to Mary is considered to be an exaggeration of her role in our life. It is also against the ecumenical way, which strives to diminish the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. As for the latter, the spiritual motherhood and the royal power of Mary are impossible to accept. 3. The consecration of Russia with the clear goal to eliminate the errors of Russia and its godless propaganda does not harmonize with the pacifist mentality of the Second Vatican Council wherein the notion of the church on earth as a militant church has been practically abolished, and Catholic life is no longer considered as a continuous spiritual fight against errors and sin, but as a positive striving of giving witness and as a keeping an open mind for dialogue and tolerance. Furthermore, we have seen in Volume 2 that the deeper reason for the consecration of Russia is not only to overcome the Marxist errors of Russia, but also the conversion of Russia from schism to the Catholic faith, which is also a deadly blow against ecumenism. Therefore, whenever there is an allusion to Russia and the post-conciliar consecrations, the idea of conversion is radically suppressed. 4. 
In none of the consecrations do we find the public act of reparation requested so many times by Our Lady. The act of reparation belongs to the very essence of the devotion of her Immaculate Heart. Now, the idea of reparation recalls eternal damnation as a terrible consequence of sin and the importance of penance and conversion to avoid the fires of hell. Today, sin is conceived only in terms of being an offense against oneself or against one's neighbor. The notion of the rights of God, the fact that those rights are offended by sin, and the need to make reparation for the offenses are all completely lost from sight today. If a pope fulfills all the requirements of Our Lady, he practically abandons the whole post-conciliar orientation as a false road. B. Insufficient Consecrations Two aspects have to be considered in these consecrations. In the measure that they come close to the demands of Our Lady, graces are given to the world. This is particularly visible with the act of consecration of the world by Pius XII. From this we see how generously heaven answers even an insufficient and imperfect act on our part. Often the argument has been given that, in the present circumstances, it would not be prudent to make the consecration of Russia, because this would provide the anger of that nation, and so increase the discrimination and persecutions against Christians there. In his spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius of Loyola speaks about those faithful who want to fulfill the will of God, but who find excuses and arguments to make a compromise, a little bit of the will of God, but also their own will. As a result, they will do something, but not precisely what God really wants. In the end, they effectively do very little or nothing for the kingdom of God and their salvation. We would have to apply the statement of St. Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort to those who purposely want to use these consecrations to make the people believe that the will of heaven had been fully accomplished. He says that such people spread a false devotion to Our Lady amongst the people and refers to them as hypocritical devotees who want to appear to their fellow man different from what they are. C. The Lie In the context of the consecration of Russia, the Roman authorities go further than the above-mentioned ambiguities, tendentious selections of text, and manipulation of people and events. Their opposition to Fatima extends so far as to have recourse to the immorality of a double lie. The statement that, according to Sister Lucia, the consecration is done according to the will of heaven, and the presentation of fake letters as writings of Sister Lucia. The statement puts Sister Lucia in flagrant contradiction with herself as, up to 1989, she always and in all circumstances repeated the above-mentioned conditions as essential for the validity of this consecration. Then, suddenly, in 1989, she supposedly considers the consecrations as fully accomplished, though their failure to fulfill the conditions remained exactly the same. In other words, the statement implicitly accuses Sister Lucia of being either a notorious liar or a mentally disordered person. Furthermore, from the last above-mentioned arguments, we can conclude that the quoted letter cannot be authentic. Such a use of letters to prove one's theory need not be examined, as both from the historical and the moral point of view, such procedures disqualify themselves entirely. The question that faces us is the following. How can the highest representatives from the seat of truth reduce themselves to using such duplicitous means? We must not judge them, but we have to ask ourselves with anxiety what Our Lady wants to teach us through such pitiful moral conflict. Once you enter into the system of the enemy, the day comes when the father of lies reveals himself. 
In other words, once you renounce the sincere seeking of objective truth and trust only in your own intelligence, you fall more and more into blindness. The first moral principle to be overthrown is the end can never justify the means. Even if you have a good goal to achieve, you are never allowed to use immoral means to obtain your goal. Even if the modernists are convinced that Fatima is an illusion and that many of Sister Lucia's statements are not true, they nonetheless do not have the right to use immoral means to achieve their goals. Another thing is that lies always bring you into contradiction. This is very visible here. If they think that Lucia is a victim of her illusions and visions throughout, and all that she said is to be handled with care and not taken literally, including this consecration, why then not say so frankly and honestly, instead of covering the whole issue with lies? They cannot say it, because of the innumerable historical facts and the marvelous effects of Fatima, and because they would scandalize the whole Catholic world. What cannot be eliminated has to be definitively silenced. How? By declaring that now all is accomplished and the Fatima event belongs to the past. Is not the definition of modernism the idea that the past belongs to the past, and especially that tradition belongs to the past, and no longer has anything more to do with our times nor with the future? In conclusion, the whole story of the consecration of Russia is like a mirror in which we can detect a pattern of modernism and the way it works. This sad aspect of the history of Fatima is also a revelation by Our Lady, in that it shows her children what they should avoid at all costs, and the easiest way not to fall into such traps is to be faithful to her. And just to wrap up here, friends, I believe that this consecration is valid, that what took place on Friday, March 25th, was a valid consecration, and that you had the Pope the Catholic bishops of the world, consecrating Russia, although it wasn't Russia individually. I know it was the consecration of humanity, but Russia specifically was mentioned along with the Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Those four things had not happened previously. Let us hope that this is acceptable to our Lord and Our Lady and we will see great things happening upon the earth, peace in the world, and Russia's conversion. But let us not forget, aided by the Lord's grace, let's do our part. Let's keep praying that rosary every day. As I'm recording this, tomorrow is first Saturday. Let's get to confession. Let's receive Holy Communion. Let's pray that rosary at least five decades and make the 15-minute meditation on the rosary, all done with the intention of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And let's ask her intercession now as well with this beautiful prayer from Bishop Athanasius Schneider, Oremos, in nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our tender mother, Look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the sixth commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the most holy Eucharist, 
especially through the practice of communion in the hand and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope in union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine Son to grant a special grace to the Pope that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity, mankind will be given a time of peace, and the Church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, and our sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us, and graciously hear this, our trusting prayer. Amen. Prayer of Blessed Bartolo Longo St. Joseph, Vicar of the Holy Spirit, in fulfilling the duties of your wonderful marriage with Mary, introduce the Holy Spirit to my will in order to ignite it with God's holy love. Present my will to the Most Holy Trinity so that my desires may always be at God's disposal. Offer my heart to God so that he may dwell in it as on a throne of love and mercy. Present the movements of my soul and all the affections of my heart to God, so that through your intercession, I will always be faithful to the grace and inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis, Sancti Joseph, Teradimonem, ora pro nobis, in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Once again, my name is Terence M. Stanton. Please share this podcast with everyone you know, and please pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis and that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. Goodbye, and God love you.